0: Today we are starting a new series called Freedom in Christ and this is obviously based around the Easter theme because we're going into Easter so we're really trying to unpack and, and look at what it means to be free in Christ and Paul keeps saying that this is 2023, free so this is the year of freedom um, so Today I, I am focusing on Galatians chapter 5 and, and really over the next few weeks we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 5 and 6 But since I'm starting this, I get, I get the opportunity to give you some context So I need you to bear with me a little bit, I'm going to backtrack to chapters 1 through 4 Just to give you a bit of context, so don't fall asleep, just stick with me um, But before we start, I would, I would really love to pray and then we'll get into it, yeah King Jesus, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather. Thank you that we get to sit and study your word and, and pursue your will for us, Lord. Thank you that we have the opportunity to freely seek you in this space, Lord, that we are not persecuted, we are not getting in trouble for this, Lord. And I pray that today my words would be your words, Lord. And I'm just a vessel. I'm just here to do your will, Father God. So this morning, just have your way with us. Amen cool so some context for galatians right um paul is writing to a group of churches in galatia he's not just writing to one church and and these are the churches like when i read this i was like man these are his babies these are the first churches that he that he established on his first missionary journey with barnabas and if you want to read about this it's in acts chapter 13 and 14. so paul had established these churches but as you know He didn't stay there because he continued on more missionary journeys. Um, So when he left, he handed over the leadership of the church to new eldership. So he handed over his babies to to new leadership. And um, there's a group of of Jewish zealots who would follow Paul around. um, and, And once he had left, they would go in and try to counteract the gospel that he Had preached so they started preaching that the gospel that Paul had brought to the region was incomplete they were insisting that the Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be saved and and if you've ever studied this you know it's commonly called the gospel plus it is the gospel plus circumcision or the gospel plus any sort of Jewish rite that you want to add into that saying that Christ alone is not sufficient for your salvation And so that's really the big the big conflict here because people began to question the sufficiency of paul's message they were asking questions like is christ really enough or do i still need to do like a little add-on package like download the extras so that i can be saved and when paul hears about this he was understandably furious he was he was livid and, and he's angry because he knows that adding anything to the gospel message ultimately distorts it and allows us to believe that Christ isn't enough. And when Christ isn't enough for you and you turn away from the gospel, you're condemning yourself to hell. That's why he was so shocked at this. He's like, what is actually... Going on, And so in, in chapter 1, verse 6 to 9, he, he sets the tone quite early on. He greets them and he jumps straight in. And he says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. This is all within the first nine verses. He didn't come To play around. And so within the first four chapters of Galatians, Paul argues two main points, right? The first point that he argues is that he makes a defense of his apostleship because a lot of the attacks that he was receiving also attacked his character, right? And this wasn't just common to the region of Galatia. People would often attack his character. Um, So he defends his apostleship not because he wants to put himself on a pedestal, but he doesn't want to allow his own being to be a reason that people discredit the gospel following me cool still got you all right so in galatians 1 verse 11 to 14 he says dear brothers and sisters i want you to understand that the gospel message i preach is not based on mere human reasoning i received my message from no human source and no one taught me instead i received it by direct revelation from jesus christ you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. So he emphasizes that he was personally called by Christ. And, and I love the way he uses his old life, because a really great testimony is a changed life, right? So he uses his old life, and he was like, you know me, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Like I was the guy who kept the law to the letter and I placed my everything in it. These guys who are, who are just like, you know, misleading you right now, yeah, they're zealous, but nothing compared to what I was. Nothing compared to what I was. And yet still, this direct revelation from Jesus Christ, having that means that I no longer value or cling to those things. My salvation is in Christ, in Christ alone. So he uses his transformation as, as something that backs up his claims and, and again in, in Galatians 2 verse 9 to 10 he speaks about how he was accepted and, and co-signed as co-laborers by Peter and James who were recognized as pillars of the early church and he said hey they co-signed the, the message that I'm preaching um, and, and then Paul then goes on to contrast the law and the gospel and in doing so, he defends the gospel quite beautifully. But before I read that, I, I just want us not to miss the point that Paul was furious. Earlier on, we read that he said, leading anybody who leads someone astray should be cursed. And later on, in Galatians chapter 5, we'll read that he, he literally says he wishes that the person who's confusing the Christians in the region of Galatia would mutilate themselves. He wasn't playing around. And, and he, he holds... The gospel to such a high regard because there's a lot of differences in opinions that we that we have at church, right? I might differ from Paul in how I think a ministry should be run, right? You might come here and say, We need to sing an extra song on Sunday. Are you like, man, where's he your your life groups meeting on a Saturday morning? Or not a Wednesday? In the grand scheme of things, these things don't actually matter, right? As long as you're worshiping and as long as you are meeting outside of a Sunday morning, right? But when it comes to the gospel, Paul is like, no, 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 no. We're serious about this. Because missing out on the grace and the gospel and, and not valuing what Christ has done to us really condemns us to hell. We miss Jesus. And, and this, this church that he, he speaks about, these labor pains and this groaning, and he's like, I, I, I labored for you. I prayed for you. And now people are taking you away from the truth. And so that's why he was so serious about this. And then I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with the arguments that he, that he makes for the gospel. But in Galatians 3 verse 23 to 25, he says, Before the way of, of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under God by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with god through faith and now that the way of faith has come we no longer need the law as our guardian and so paul is like the law protected us and it was great because it served its purpose but now that christ has come and set us free why are you choosing to go back to that and I believe that he really sums this up really well in just a few lines, right? And this is Galatians 2, verse 14 to 16. And this is the time where Peter actually came to Antioch. Peter came to the region of Galatia, and he was visiting the churches. And when he got there, he was eating meals with the Gentile believers. And he was having a great time. He was enjoying himself. And then some friends of James... Some Jewish men came, and then Peter got all shy all of a sudden, and he stopped hanging out with the Gentiles. And, and Paul saw this, and he was like, mm, what's going on here? So Paul, Paul confronts him, and what he says is, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? It's nonsensical. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right uh, with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And that's the anchor points of the whole argument. No one is ever going to be made right with God by obeying the law. So Paul was asking, why do the Gentiles need to become Jewish to become Christian? You get that? Why, why does that have to happen? And I encourage you to read the first four chapters of Galatians for yourself over the next few weeks just so you have that context and you, you really laid that argument out so beautifully. Um, and before we move on, I just want to put a pin there. And and I want to speak to us about how much Paul actually valued the gospel. The gospel being the good news, right? The good news that we were sinners, still are sinners, Christ died in our place, and now we have freedom and we are reconciled with God through that. And Paul valued that above anything else. I fear that perhaps in the modern church, we don't necessarily have a gospel plus issue the way they did in Galatia, but I think we have a gospel light, like how you have Coke lights or Pepsi light. We have a gospel light. And, um, and because of this, what we do is we avoid commands and challenges and the actual words of Jesus himself. And if you read in, in, in um, sorry, wrong verse. If we read in Ephesians 2 verse eight to nine, it says that we are saved by grace through faith, not grace through works or grace through achievements or grace, through how much we are tithing. That's not what saves us, right? And, and if you look at Romans 5, verse 8 to 10, it says, but God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So it's nothing we have done or earned or achieved. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So the beauty of this is that when we are serving at church or when we are worshiping or reading our Bible, we're not doing it to get to a place of salvation. We are doing it out of the security of receiving that salvation already. But I worry a lot I'm on social media a lot. It's part of my job. Um, I I fear that the world isn't getting the true gospel. They're just getting news. They're not getting the good news. We see pastors preaching prosperity. That God only exists for your success. And the reason why Jesus died is for your wealth. And if you want to get more, you better start giving. And, And look, there are biblical principles around tithing and generosity, and I'm not I'm not touching on that at all There are biblical principles around that And there's biblical ways to handle your finances But sometimes I feel like People treat church like it's Bitcoin Like buy the dip And then I give more, I get more And oh yeah, Jesus is a great investment I sometimes feel like that's, that's the image that we get and, and lately there have been pastors who Ignore what the Bible says about sexuality and marriage Just to appease the culture that they find in front of them And I'm like, what are you doing? don't you fear god what are you doing um and so my question for all of us this morning is what does valuing the gospel look like what does valuing this look like to us do we feel that we truly value that would anything in our lives change if we felt like we valued it for some of us sitting here it might actually mean reading a gospel so reading the words of jesus his miracles, everything he did. It might actually mean reading that for the first time. For some others, it might mean sharing the gospel. We have co-workers who are in desperate need of their savior. I mean, not me, because I work for a church, but like some of us have, (laughs) that would be worrying. Um, Some of us have have co-workers who are in desperate need of their savior. We have neighbors who are in desperate need of (laughs) King Jesus, right? And so ask yourself, what would my life look like if I truly valued what Jesus did for me on the cross? And I feel like that is what defined Paul's life. And so now we're going to jump back in. Removing that pin, we're jumping back into Galatians chapter 5. Stick with me, we're going to read through it. Okay, just so you understand what we're talking about. So given this context, I hope you understand a bit more of what Paul says here. Um, So Christ has truly set us free. But I make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. So if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. That's heavy. Verse 5 carries on. But we who live in the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being, being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. And reading some commentaries where he says, you you were running so well, who has prevented you from running? In the original translation, this speaks about actually physically putting an obstacle in someone's way. So saying, who has come and put these obstacles in front of you? That's the, ser- that's the seriousness of what, he, what Paul was dealing with here. And carrying on from verse 10, he says, I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I was still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. And in other translations, it says castrate themselves. So Paul's saying, don't stop there. Go all the way, buddy. Go all the way. Um, Verse 13 onwards, he says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself but if you are always biting and devouring one another watch out beware of destroying one another and so there's two specific verses uh, parts of this this passage of scripture that I would like to point out the first is right at the beginning where we see Paul says in in verse one so Christ has truly set us free now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law Paul tasks us with ensuring that we stay free he's saying Christ has set you free but now it is your responsibility to ensure that you stay free don't go back into that right and I'm sure a lot of you know who this is for those of you who don't know this is Uncle Ben that's Peter Parker um, Peter Parker is also another name for Spider-Man and and Uncle Ben is crucial to spider-man's origin story because his uncle passes away and then he goes on like this rampage but In one of their last conversations they have together. He says with great power Comes great responsibility, but he didn't actually know that his nephew was spider-man So he's saying basically saying Peter you have all this power not knowing that he actually had superpowers But you need to be responsible with it. You need to be a responsible man and in a similar way I feel like Paul is telling us with great freedom comes great responsibility that's the bottom line that we are responsible to ensure that we don't satisfy our sinful nature and that's the next part of this right so Paul double downs on this he echoes this in verse 13 and 14 um, he says so you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature instead use your freedom to serve one another in love so Paul gives a more direct instruction. He's saying, yes, it's your responsibility to stay free. And in that freedom, don't use it to satisfy your sinful nature. And oh, I'm so glad that this picture worked. It was giving us problems earlier. Thanks, Dean. We've um, got the best AV team, guys. Woo-hoo! Um, and so here, if, if you can see... Um, I believe that this diagram really, it it perfectly um, illustrates the narrative that Paul is working with. So, on one side, your left, my right, we have legalism and the law. And the fact that no one can be made right with God by obeying the law, right? It is not humanly possible. And if you do, you are under God's wrath. And so Paul is saying that because of what Christ did, you have the right to come up from under the law and stay in the middle on that hill and enjoy the liberty, the freedom that has been paid for on your behalf. And he said, just because you have the right to stand in this freedom, you now also have the responsibility to not go over the other end and use your freedom as a license to indulge your sinful nature. And so I've titled this sermon, The Responsibility, of freedom and um, i'm specifically going to be looking at at what it means to not satisfy our sinful nature i'm not going to cover the love one another because i think fernando did an incredible job of that last week um just to plug it real quick if you haven't seen it you can catch up on youtube it's a really really great message so thank you to fernando um so yeah let's let's dive straight into what the bible says about our sinful nature so Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And when we, when we mention the, the sin that trips us up, I'm praying that there's something that comes to mind from your own life. That, that sin that's tripping you up comes to mind now and you're like, okay, I need to deal with this. I imagine it as like running with, with untied shoelaces. It's there, you know it's there, but you don't think it's a big deal and then you, you face plants. That, that's what I imagine it, right? Um, and, and, and these things that trip us up really do trip us up. It might be something that you watch on a screen that you know you shouldn't. It might be the way... You treat your spouse behind closed doors. It might be the gossiping that, that is sometimes so fun to take part in. Let's be real. <laughs> it, it might be that extra glass of alcohol that, that pushes you over the edge. So just bring it to mind now and, 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 yeah. God, I pray that you would reveal these parts of us that are hidden and offensive and that we, we are in denial about. Lord, I pray that you would bring to the surface the sins that keep tripping us up. In Hebrews 3, we read another, we read another warning against letting sin fester. And, and this, this shocked me. You know, I actually, I struggled to sleep last night. And I struggled with preparing this message. And I think it's low-key because it challenged me so much. Um, because we read here in Hebrews 3, verse 12 to 14, it says, Be careful then. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own heads are not evil and unbelieving. Hearts are not evil and unbelieving, sorry. Turning turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so the 2nd of April, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all things that belong to Christ. It's interesting that this text specifically states that we can be deceived by sin and therefore hardened towards God. And I look at this and I'm like, hold on, this was written to someone who already believed in God. This was written to someone who has a comparison of how they felt when they first believed. And now they're somewhere down the line and they've stopped believing, right? Um... And, and, and that, that's a real warning sign. That's something that we can trip up on so easily that if we let the sin fester, if we just keep it tucked away in the corner and we don't tie our shoelaces and it keeps tripping us up, the real danger is that it will deceive us and harden our hearts towards God. And we won't share in everything that Christ sacrificed for us. We won't share in that. We won't share in that reward. There's a... Uh, a self appointed minister in in america um, i 'll give names brandon robertson and and when I read this first this person was the first person that came to mind because um, he calls himself a sex-positive, like a sex-first minister, or, you know, let's, uh, let's just embrace our natural desires. And, and he's a minister who preaches in churches and is quite open about indulging same-sex attractions. And, and it's gotten to the point where he started claiming that the Bible is not the inerrant word of God. So by indulging that sinful nature and letting it continue to the point where he valued it so much that now any scripture that tells him that he is wrong is like, no, no, that's flawed. That was translated wrong. God didn't really mean that. It's to the point where when you're speaking, preaching on the Garden of Eden, he's saying, um, speaking about how the serpent spoke a word of truth, and God misled Adam and Eve. And it's crazy. And, and that's the, and, and I mean, I know we're saying, mm, ah, ooh, ooh but none of us are any better. Because sometimes we all make justifications. And, and we're all we're all um, fallible in that sense. If we let that sin fester, it can deceive us and harden our hearts against God. And Jesus was, was, was quite straightforward with this when he was speaking about adultery. And he said, so if your eye, even your good eye, so for me it's my right eye, I've got a on the left, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand even your stronger hand causes you to sin so my right hand cut it off and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and jesus is being so intense with this and i've i need to give you a disclaimer i've heard stories of people mutilating themselves because of the verse please don't do that you can cut off your hand but you're still going to (laughs) sin it's not going to solve anything but, but this verse is actually quite violent, and I believe that it's an invitation for us to get violent with our sin. So in his commentary on Matthew, D.A. Carson writes that cutting off or gouging out the different parts, the offending parts, is a way of saying that Jesus' disciples must deal radically with sin. Imagination is a God-given gift, but if it is fed dirt by the eye, it will be Dirty. All sin, not least sexual sin, begins with the imagination. Therefore, what feeds the imagination is of maximum importance in the pursuit of kingdom righteousness. Not everyone reacts the same way to all objects, but if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out, or at the very least, don't look. The alternative is sin and hell, which is sin's reward. And it's this beautiful invitation to deal radically with our sin to get violence with our sin. And if I may paint a picture for us, I want you to imagine your sin as a masked intruder breaking into your house at night. And I'm going to say they're unarmed, right? We're not Avengers here. We're not going to fight someone with a gun. But it's an unarmed intruder coming into your house at night. And you know this intruder is here to destroy your livelihood, to harm your family, and in many cases to rob you of your own life what are you going to do about that intruder? If you're standing there and your spouse or your kids are there, what are you going to do? Your parents are there. You're going to get physical. You're going to make sure that they come here and no further. Personally, I'm putting them in the ground. Like that's just me. But that's the level of of intentionality that we need to bring with it. We need to treat us in the same way. We need to rip it out by the roots, ruthlessly, shamelessly. We need to be desperate to deal with our sin and so the invitation isn't to cut my hand off the invitation is to cut out parts of my life and surrender them to god that's the invitation and so again what is that part of your life that you need to cut off and surrender to god um i'm currently staying with mark and i think him and i are both extreme so we'll be like hey man like netflix will pop up and there's really like a lot of sexualized content on netflix and it's like man it triggers you and you're thinking these thoughts throughout out the day so we're like fine we're just not going to watch netflix <laughs> you cut it off at the roots you cut it off at the roots i have had content restrictions and and accountability features on my cell phone for the past like three four years right my internet browsing history is open. You can see it. I can't delete any browser history on my phone. Um, where's uncle Jay? Hands up. Okay. Uncle Jay is probably dealing with something else. But for example, uncle Jay has a password to my phone that only he knows that blocks me from looking at any sort of explicit content that blocks me from removing my search history because I am accountable to him. And it's upsetting because sometimes I can't go into certain websites. Like I can't go into coom Books to try find a Christian book. But it's fine, that's just the price you pay. That's the price you pay, right? I can't go onto that website. I have accountability features on my phone, right? Where if I pop onto like watch anime and there's a, there's a dodgy ad that pops up, like someone will get the notification. I used to be so embarrassed when like all of these dodgy ads used to pop up and Gavin would message me. He was like, hey bud, how are you doing? And I'm like, I swear, this isn't what it looks like. I'm just trying to watch Attack on Titan. This isn't what it looks like. But there's this idea that we cut things off and surrender it to God. Ruthlessly. Shamelessly. We don't compromise. We don't compromise where, where that is concerned. And But this, this process of thoroughly dealing with sin is twofold. Yes, on one hand, we are violent with it. We do everything that is necessary. We go to support groups. We have accountability partners we block ourselves out of our phones at certain times of the night we go to prayer meetings we do whatever it takes to deal with our brokenness but on the other hand it's also placing the gospel that paul held in such high regard back at the center of our lives it's allowing jesus to be lord and savior of your entire being especially oh my gosh i almost dropped this especially the parts of you that you feel so ashamed of Allowing him to be Lord and light over those parts of your life. I was recently reminded of this beautiful example from the Old Testament. And it's the story of Josiah. We watched some stuff on it in in our staff meetings. And and it's this beautiful picture of restoration and redemption and, and repentance. So for context, he was part of the kings who were allowed to go back to Israel after the exile. So the land was in ruin. It was horrible the temple was dilapidated the temple was in ruins like there were there were just idols and and statues everywhere around the country so he was appointed king of israel when he was eight years old right and it took him a few years but but he got into the swing of things so during his eighth year when he was 16 he was still young josiah began to seek the god of his ancestors david then in the 12th year When he was 20, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles and the carved idols and cast images. He ordered the altars of Baal to be demolished and that the incense altars which stood above them to be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols and the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed them. He burned the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars, and so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. He made sure. He left no loose ends. He purified Judah and Jerusalem. And my point here is not that we need to run around Joburg and knock down monuments. Gold Reef must fall. That's not what we're doing here. But this land that Josiah cleansed, I believe can actually be compared To our hearts because what jesus did on the cross when he brought us into the new covenant that was an invitation to not need a temple where god dwells but inviting god to dwell in our bodies as temples right and so that temple is our bodies and it's not our cities that need to be cleansed for our hearts to be changed but rather it's our hearts that need to be cleansed for our cities to be changed And so that's a bit of a paradigm shift. So later on in the story, Josiah commissions the leaders to restore the temple to its former glory because they were a generation of people who had not seen the temple. They had not worshipped in the temple. While they were restoring the temple, they found the actual book of the law. They found the actual law that had been lost. And, and this was read out to Josiah. And he had never read it or heard about it or heard it in his life. And when it was read to him, he tore his clothes and he repented because he realized just how much more they were living in sin. And how much further Israel had strayed from God than he had realized. But there's this beautiful end to the chapter where they restore the temple I'm there now. When they restore the temple and renew their covenant with God. Then the king summoned... We're in 2 Chronicles 34, by the way. Yes. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people in Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the Levites. All the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king... Sorry, I don't have the slides. (laughs) Um, The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. The people of Jerusalem did so, renewing the covenant with God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And how beautiful would it be to say, the people of new creation removed all detestable idols from their hearts. And worshipped the Lord their God. And for the rest of their lives they did not turn away from the Lord. The God of their ancestors. Amen. And so what Josiah did here that was so powerful. Is that he placed God back at the center of Israel. He got Israel to renew their covenant with God. And in a similar fashion we need to fight to keep God at the center of our lives. We need to fight to keep God at the center of our schedules, of our relationships. One thing that sticks with me is that Josiah was dealing and undoing, dealing with and undoing the consequences of the sins of his forefathers. Dan, please go up and single. (laughs) He was uh, dealing with the the sins and and the consequences of, of those who came before him. And he had to dig that out. He had to inspire the nation to move towards that. And, and I was chatting to Paul yesterday, and that really goes with our theme for the year, this, as for me and my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and as a church, we really felt that that's what we need to focus on this year, because we really want to restore and at the same time build healthy and godly families. And so what is it that we want to fill our hearts and our homes with? Are we we going to fill them with these idols? Are we going to leave them devoid of worship? I don't want to leave my my children with that legacy. I don't want them to have to do a deep dive like Josiah did. Like this is what my father left me. I don't want that. And so we've spoken a lot about about sin and, and the things that trip us up and We have this freedom in Christ. And the question is, what are you going to do with your freedom? What are you going to do with your freedom? Because I feel that the freedom sometimes makes us complacent, doesn't it? It's like, it's fine. I will deal with my pornography addiction when I'm closer to marriage. It doesn't really matter now. You know, it doesn't matter now. But it it does matter now. It matters every day. It matters while today is still today. So what are the things that keep tripping you up? What part of your life do you need to cut off and surrender to God? Think about those things. So what we're going to do now is, is have a time of response. And our time of response is going to be quite specific. It's if if there's something that's come up, there's something that keeps tripping you up, or there's an area that you feel you need to cut out and surrender to God, now is your time to do it. And in a moment, I'm going to ask all of our ministry leaders and life group leaders to line up in front to offer prayer to people. And what we're really looking for here is is just this... Hey man, I'm struggling with this and I need help. There's two main reasons why we do this. The first one is, it's the concept of bringing sin into the light. Sin flourishes in darkness, in seclusion, when it's alone. It grows. It's the opposite of a plant. It's the opposite of life. It will grow in darkness and it will fester and it will rot and it will deceive and turn your heart against God. So the first step is to bring these things into the light are you with me and that takes a lot of courage that does don't worry we're all there it takes a lot of courage but don't let the shame or the pride stop you from bringing something into the light from moving forward in true freedom because we can say we're free but we're just choosing slavery to something else we're choosing slavery to our flesh. And the second reason why we really want to do this prayer response is because it's you opening up to help. Saying, I need help with this. Because you can't deal with it alone. It takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to deal with sin. I just thought of that now. So can I get some of our leaders up front, or all of our leaders up front, please? Ministry leaders, life group leaders. And let's just take this time really prayerfully. And if if there is something that keeps tripping you up and something you want to cut off and surrender to God, let this be the start of it. Let this be the start of it. Bring it into the light and open yourself up for help.